Many of you here today, you have what is called a PIP, a P-I-P, on your television sets. Uh, PIP stands for Picture in Picture. Um, And what it means, it means that you can look at your show at any time uh, and bring up a little tiny screen that usually pops up in the bottom corner of your TV. um, And it is another channel that will be showing another channel. So you can watch your main, whatever it is you're watching, your main screen, and you can have the football game down in the bottom corner um, on the PIP screen. But the PIP is not the main show. The main show is what covers most of your TV. The PIP is simply another show Uh, to glance at while you're watching the main show um, on television. Now, for many of us here today who attend church, this service is like a pip. People go to church, and they receive a pip experience. They receive spiritual information. uh, They hear spiritual truth. And they sing spiritual songs, but it's not the main show to them. Instead, when they leave church, that is when the main show begins. They go back to work. They go back to their families uh, and life, back to -to day-to-day struggles. Sunday morning is just a pip. Something people glance at while they themselves enjoy a main show somewhere else now today what i would like us to do i want us to to, uh, look at what it means to keep your christian relationships from ever going sour and my hope today is that your pip is turned off and the remainder of this service is the main show for you because uh, i believe god has got something in store for all of us here today related to the subject matter. Now, when you came to know Jesus, when you became a Christian, when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, you inherited a family. You didn't know it at the time, but you did. That one decision that you made to follow Christ completely changed Every single thing going on in your life. You inherited a family. um, And you have lavish resources of love and support. I want you to see what I mean by this. If you look in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4, just those first six verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this is what Paul said. Paul was writing to the Ephesian believers and he said this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He was in prison at the time when he wrote this letter. He was arrested for being a Christian. He said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, what a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. If you didn't catch the oneness of that passage, go back to bed, get up, and look at it again and see if you see it that time. Because that whole passage is about unity. It is about one. It's about being on the same page. Not just with God, but with one another. This brief passage of Scripture is packed with power and transformation. Now, to have a well-adjusted Christian life, there are three things that we need to focus on, and those three things that we need to focus on for that well-adjusted Christian life, it needs to be in this order. And I have spelled that out in your bulletin. Those three things are, number one, your daily relationship with Christ. That is, your relationship, what did you do with Jesus the morning, the day that you lived yesterday? What did you do with Jesus yesterday? Did you talk to him? Did you spend any time with him? Did you seek him? Did you talk to him about things when you weren't asking for stuff? Did you, did you talk to him? Your daily relationship with Christ will determine the type of Christian you're going to be during your life. If the only time you go to Him is when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Because the Lord wants you to have a relationship with Him. Think about the person that is the most important person in your life. What kind of a relationship would you have with that person if you only spent 30 seconds with them a day? And then day two, you, you didn't spend any time. Day three, you didn't spend any time. Day four, you spent a minute. Day five, you were busy. Day six, well, that's the weekend. Those don't count. And then day seven, well, I'll get my fill. I'm going to church. You spent a minute and a half with that person in a seven-day period, and you wonder why so many times God is so far away from you. He's not far. He is right where He said He would be. You're the one that's moved because you're not spending time with the Lord. Your relationship with Jesus, is it's on you. It's not on Him. He is able, and He desires but it's up to you. So, your daily relationship with Christ to have a well-adjusted Christian life. Number two, your daily relationship to your fellow believers in Christ. That's your church. Look around you right now. It's the people in this room and all those people that we cannot stand who are taking boat trips right now to foreign countries being wined and dined all week long. These are your family members. This is your fellow believers. This is what you inherited when you went to Jesus. And then your work for Christ in the world is the third area. 
in your life. Now, how are those three things working out for you right now today? Taking a look, in your mind, looking at each of the three individually and separate one from another, how are those three things working out for you? The one thing you need to know right off the bat is that if your number one is not working well, remember that's your daily relationship with Christ, the other two are going to be completely thrown off. Just throw it in the trash. If number one, your spiritual walk with Jesus, isn't where it should be, you're not going to be able to handle the difficult times, and you're going to crash, and you're going to burn. Number one has to be number one. First, before anything, God wants you to love Him and worship Him. Uh, same with myself, so must I. And secondly, we must love the church universal. Uh, all fellow believers everywhere. God does. And God wants us to follow His heart. And where does it begin? It begins right here with your church family. Now, did you know, do you realize that there are churches within the church? And here's what I mean by that. The church universal is made up of believers in Jesus um, of all time. It is the body of Christ. The book of Ephesians tells us fabulous things about the church. Now I want you to take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. And I want you to see this verse maybe in a way, maybe you've not seen it before. It is captivating. It says in uh, chap chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, it says this. And God placed all things under Christ's feet, his feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, the church that is believers in Jesus we are called a body. We're a body. And this body is to, <clears throat> is to have Christ as its priority. He is the head. Jesus is the top. He is priority number one to every single one of us here. He is the intellect. He is in control. And we are his body. We're his body. You're his body. You are. I am. You know, the true church, it's not an organization. It's not a building. It's most definitely, it's not a denomination. The church is pictured in the Bible as a living organism. And each individual Christian has become a part of it, beaming with life. Now, Christ makes us a living part of himself. Think about that for a moment. Now, really, think about that. <clears throat> the image. Here is that image. This is an image where Jesus is so tall that the head is in the clouds and it's out of sight. Well, he calls himself, the Bible says, he calls himself the head he is invisible from earth and we are his body 
visible and seen by everyone who lives on earth. And yet we are truly one with him, truly connected to our unseen head. And a head needs a body as much as a body needs a head. Did you ever look at what Paul said there in verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 1? Look at that. Verse 23 says, We, that's you, we are his fullness. You are. You are the fullness to him. Now let that soak in for a minute. What completes him? You. Isn't that amazing? He is the head. We are the body. We are the fullness of him. He desires you so much. He loves you so much that you fulfill him. That is a thought. And that's something you should look at over and over. He has an inner craving for you and for me. He has a desire for his people so great that he makes us a living part of himself. That part of him which, ex which expresses him, that is, his body. And it's a sacred relationship too. Uh, not only with him, but with each other. We are dependent on each other as parts of the body is dependent on the other parts of the body. And we have a sacred priority to each other as well. To do what? To nourish, to encourage, and to strengthen one another. Now there are five ways I want you to look at and how I want you to see the church in order for you to love the church. What are five ways... You can love the church in your bulletin. Number one, the first way that you can love the church is love the church by uniting in membership. Now, when we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, it talked about unity. Unity. God says we have it, but we are supposed to express it. The unity is there. It should already be uh, occurring because the Holy Spirit has given us that unity. Now we have it, but we need to do something with it. We have to express it. And remember, who is the body? You are. I am. He is the head. We are to express it. How do you reconcile these two statements you'll see up on the screen? They're side by side found in Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. On the one side, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And on the other side, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's the one, but the, the, but the command is what we see at the beginning. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says to the church, you are unified, now be unified. 
How are you to express your unity? How does God want us to express our togetherness? For one thing, it's by joining a local group of believers. See, it's not enough to attend a church. He wants you to join a church, to become a member. Make sure you're a member. It's a form of a deep commitment. Uh, of the second priority, you remember the second priority earlier, your daily relationship to your fellow believers in Christ. Find a church that teaches the Word of God. Find a church that focuses on discipleship and teaches the importance of living for Jesus, not just by what you say, but also by what you do. And when you find that church... You should all but run to join that church when the invitation is given. See, a local church is a visible expression of the true church universal. And you need to give your heart to that group of people who name His name. That's what God wants. It may not be 100% genuine, as is the ages wide mystical body but how do you get hold of the true church at all except through the local congregation and once you join what do you do you praise it you love it you protect it you defend it you identify with it and you serve you serve in it my friend, the church today is the body of Christ. And the local church is by no means perfect. How many of y'all did not need me to say that for you to know that the local body is not perfect? You didn't you have to hear it from the preacher. Of course not. But when we focus on that first priority, remember what that was, that first priority? your daily relationship with Jesus, remember that? When we focus on that, then those imperfect people begin to act a little bit differently than normal, don't they? And why is that? Because He's working in you. He's helping you in those tough, difficult times. So you're going to quit feeling sorry for yourself or feeling victimized. Maybe you're just going to find the way to bridge that gap. Why? Because in the end, we are His body. We're His body. He is the head. He's the one that should be moving us along, going where we're going. But the expressions, the actions... The body's working, the parts of the body that's moving and going and doing and all that stuff, that's, that's you, and that's the choices that, that you make. I heard this comment before. It's a great comment. I should have put it up on the screen. I didn't, but I want to pass it on to you, and it says this. Don't let anyone be the reason why you leave church. They are not the reason why you go to church in the first place. Amen? Amen. However, the church is the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we begin to move as one body. There are simply no other options to God's plan on this issue than that. 
Number two, not only joining by membership, but you should love the church by being baptized and by taking communion. Now, the means and the methods here are not as important as it is in just being obedient. What do I mean by that? What I mean here is this. I think too many times the church gets caught up and divided over what kinds of baptisms, that is, ways of doing it, or what ways to receive the communion, that is, the substance of the elements. People get so caught up over these things that their unity and their witness is completely wiped out because of the focus on the temporal. It has to be done exactly like this, they would say. How many times do you think the Holy Spirit is grieved over such things? I remember it's been a long time ago, maybe about 20 years ago. <clears throat> there was a gentleman in our church, and he was dying. He was an older gentleman. And Larry Searcy had gone to his house two days earlier and prayed with this man, and this man accepted Christ. He was in his 80s. And, of course, he did. Larry Searcy went and talked to him. For those of you that knew Larry, uh, just the, the wow factor. Larry calls me, and he says, hey, listen, um, John wants to be baptized, and I want you to come with me, and we're going to baptize him. I said, okay, sounds good. I'll go downstairs, I'll turn on the water. He goes, no, he's on his, his deathbed, and he's hooked up to just about everything that you can imagine, and we're going to go baptize him there in his living room. Okay, that sounds good. Are you bringing the water, or do you want me to? And he goes, it don't matter. So we went over to John's house, and we sprinkled John with the water. Now, I know what the Bible has to say about baptism. The word baptism is the, uh, uh, is the word that we get baptizo, which means to dip or go under the water. I know that. You know that. We practice that. That's how Jesus was baptized. That's how we're going to get baptized then. But in the situation in which John found himself in, um, he's dying. He's on a bed. The man just accepted Christ two days before. And he wanted to be obedient and be baptized. Why? Because that's what Jesus, that's the number one thing Jesus asked all believers to do the moment you become a Christian is to get baptized. Do you think it mattered to Christ that he was sprinkled versus going underneath the water? Absolutely not. Jesus could not have cared less. John got baptized that day because in his heart he wanted to be obedient. But he was at the place in his life in which he couldn't go under the water. How about the Lord's Supper? You know how many times on you trips it's been a long time since we've done it like this? I was trying to think of when was the last time, and I think it's been a while. It was a night. We were out. It was about midnight. Uh, we were on this place called Inspiration Point, Revelation Point. It was at camp, and it's where you look at all the stars. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's a really neat thing. And we took communion. What was the communion? 
It was a Chips Ahoy cookie. And everyone had a Dr. Pepper. I tell you, that was a great communion night right there. But we were up there because as it dawned on me, as we were going there, I didn't bring the bread. I was supposed to bring the bread. I didn't bring the bread. And I got to thinking, does it matter? So up there at the inspiration point, we took the Lord's Supper. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Now, every time I eat a Chips Ahoy cookie now, do I think of the Lord's Supper? No. I think of Chips Ahoy and how I can get another one. But the point is, we get so stuck on the means and the methods. God's not about that. But the love your church by being baptized and taking communion. Number three, love the church by committing yourself. When you identify with a local body with real flesh and blood people, you're in for a ride. <clears throat> Sometimes the ride is going so smoothly, it's like you're floating on air. And other times it may be a jolt or a whiplash. But the ride, it is always, it is always worth it. Always. Someone once said, and I think you all, all have heard me use this before, it's just too good not to use again. To live above with saints we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that is another story. Now, did you catch what's the, what the Holy Spirit had Paul write when he wrote those three words found in our text? In Ephesians 4, 3, what did he say? He said, make every effort. Make every effort. At what point did you give up making every effort because it was too hard? At what point is your stopping point because you were offended? The Bible says, make every effort. And other translations, it might read as be very diligent to do this and that. Paul reminds us in the next chapter. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, you and I would do well to remember that an offering cost, a sacrifice may involve pain. But when we disregard our natural inclinations and we love each other as Christ loved us with the sins and scars and mars and everything that goes along with it, our love for our fellow Christians becomes a fragrance, a sweet-smelling perfume and it's to the Lord. It's not just to the person around us. It's to Jesus. Here's one more reason for good measure. How about Romans 15, 7, which says, To accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We are to be accepting, not to be picking on one another. 
The loving church has a fragrance about it, and so does the loving member, and Retta should strive for this goal. Thus, the three things we're focusing on this year and the address of the church that we did many months back, worship, edification, and evangelism. Those are the three things we are to be working on. Number four, what's the fourth way to love the church? Love the church by offering your gifts. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says, It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, <coughs> some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Congregations are not to be zombie-type sheep who follow each other into church on a Sunday morning, listening to something, and then they just file right on out the door. Well, what's priority two supposed to be all about? We Christians have to fit all of our parts together. We're responsible members. We are to be aggressive participants the church is never the pastor's show. As someone once said, the church must be the whole body, the eyes, ears, hands, and feet. It's functioning, serving one another, loving each other. It's taking care of each other's children in Sunday school. It's fitting in where God has given you a gift, on the praise team, or as an usher. It's teaching it's caring, it's building, it's being aunts and uncles to one another's children. It's being all of this in the family of God, and it involves both single people and married people, young and old. We're all, all of us are in this together. It's adapting ourselves to the family of God. And in case you're worried about what your spiritual gift is, it's not a big deal. All you need to do is get plugged into whatever makes you happy and start serving. Have this attitude in you. What can I do to make a difference in my church? And then you just start going for it. And the last point, how to love the church. Love the church by being in a small group. You know, every single church you could ever go to, it doesn't matter on denomination, they are packed full with high Christians. What I mean is that they just give you, hi, how are you? Hello, good morning. That's pretty much all you get when you see them. You may have a cup of coffee, you might talk about the football game, but never anything of real importance will ever take place. It just doesn't happen. But if they never cry with anyone, if they never help lift the one who's falling into sin, if they never share where they hurt, then they are living very superficial lives. And the church is full of superficial Christians. 
Every church is full of superficial Christians. There are plenty of Christians who never tell anyone when they have problems. So they never get anywhere with each other, especially in this thing of genuine relationships, friendships. Does it not seem odd to you that you can go to God day in, day out, day after day, week after week, month after month, you can go to God by prayer time after time, and you never say anything about the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters? That's an amen or an oh my kind of a response. You know, when Jesus gave us the new commandment to love one another in John chapter 13, he didn't intend for us to be high Christians. So how does one put themselves in the position to be more than just a high Christian? What does a small group offer that allows us to be what God expects us to be? What are the elements of a small group that puts us in a position of being a vessel through which God will work? Well, first, you worship God together. Second, you feed on the Word of God together. Third, you share your joys and burdens in your group. You know, the longer time moves forward, the more likely you are to share. Terry, did you get that? I thought about you on that one, buddy. All right? The more involved you get, the more likely you're going to start sharing. Because everyone's becoming like a family. It's becoming easy. Hey, I can trust these people. Hey, I've got something to say. Hey, you know what? I've got this problem. Hey, you know what? I have a prayer request. Hey, you know what? For the first time, I don't really feel like I'm surrounded by strangers. And then fourth, you will begin to pray for one another. And then fifth, a lot of times, you'll eat together. Now, Acts 2.42 portrays all five of these points in one verse. You'll see it up on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the Bible. To fellowship. That's sharing your heart. To the breaking of bread or barbecue if you're Texan. And, amen. And to prayer. We have just two more weeks in the life group that I'm leading, and then we're done for the summer. Most of all the other groups, they are already done, and I would recommend that in the fall, everyone get plugged into a life group, or it's a small group, it's the same thing, and see what God can do with you, through you, and in you during that time. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you, that you love one another. It's not an option. It's not an elective. It's something God tells you you must do. You must do. And then he gives you all the resources to do it. But one might come out and say, well, I just cannot love so-and-so. Well, I'm going to tell you this much. If you're a real believer in Jesus... I want you to remember what someone told me one time. So important, I put this at the bottom of the bulletin when I did this two weeks ago. God has already given to you all the love you will ever need for all the people you will ever meet in all the situations you will ever face. 
you will find this in your bulletin at the very bottom. And that's very, very true. It's very true. There is not one single Christian without the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit of Christ, as it says in Romans 8 9, he does not belong to Jesus. And we know that supply of love in you doesn't run out, for the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The only thing some of you need to do today is you need to start running out of excuses and you just need to run to Jesus and have a long talk. That's what you need to do, some of you. Have that long talk. Remember, when your old nature rises up in you with all of its inhibitions or its hostilities, take it to the cross. Crucify it daily and build into your life what you were meant to have as you make a difference in the lives of those around you, that is, your fellow believers here in the church. So choose to be that one who will help your church grow. Choose to be the one that will help your church by remembering the unity and the purpose for which you and I have been called. There are plenty of Christians who are going through some tough times and they need your encouragement. Christian relationships, oh, they're very crucial to your nourishment and they're also very crucial to your growth as well. The members of the body, they all need you and you need all of them. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you and today and we want to thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. We want to thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. And Father, we want to thank you for the things that are going to take place. Now, Lord, I know this is a busy time, summer, and we're all stretched and we're scattered about everywhere. Father, I pray and ask that for those that need a healing touch, we ask, God, that for those who need a healing touch, God, that you would really be ministering to the lives of those who really need you in a deeper way namely Kyle. Lord, I want to pray and lift up Melissa Scott. Uh, her aunt passed away in the middle of the night, and she'll be attending the funeral sometime at the end of this week in Lubbock. It's going to be a long drive, God, and we pray that you would be with her and that you would continue to minister to her. Lord, there are those in our church who are sick. Some, Lord, really need healing. And God, you know who they are. Lord, if anyone needs to know, they can just call the church and we'll tell them. But God, we ask for that really big healing touch that you can give. And we do ask that. Father, for our church here at Retta, I pray, God, that we would continue to be uh, unified, one in spirit, one with each other, focused on the mission that you have called every single one of us here, God, to do. And Lord, we want to thank you that you have given us this church here at 13201 Rendon Road. God, where we can come with all of our baggage and just leave it because we trust in each other enough to confide in one another to get that wisdom and to get that help when needed. Lord, I just pray that today you would meet everyone wherever they are at in their life at this time and God, that you would have that long talk with them and where they need to go. In Jesus' name, amen.